Hello and welcome back to the Come Follow Me Bible Challenge. My name is Jeremy Howard, pastoring at Orchard Hills Bible Church in Payson, Utah. Thanks for joining me today. As we continue through the Come Follow Me curriculum schedule, not the curriculum itself, but the schedule that is produced by the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, we come to the week of, let's see, when is the week of? Ah, August 28th to September 3rd. <laughs> Sometimes I forget where I am on the calendar. August 28th to September 3rd. 1 Corinthians 8 through 13 is on the docket. 1 Corinthians is a great book with all kinds of stuff. I mean, it's got varied topics for sure. Maybe, let's see, can I say this real quick? Scanning my brain, scanning my brain. Yes, I can say this. Out of all of the books in the New Testament, 1 Corinthians is the most varied as it comes, as it pertains to the topics that are covered. Uh, you'll see in uh, the start of several chapters, Paul says, now concerning, and then he says the topic, and you'll go to the next chapter, now concerning, next topic. So um, he is addressing several things one by one. Uh, we can talk about sexual immorality and church discipline in chapter 5, what it means to um, judge disputes in the church and the place of lawsuits in the church in chapter 6, marriage and divorce in chapter 7, idolatry and uh, evangelism and how to live in a pagan culture in chapters 8 through 10, head coverings in chapter 11, uh, communion in chapter 11, spiritual gifts, chapters 12 to 14, and in the middle of the conversation on spiritual gifts in chapter 13 is that love chapter where Paul talks about love is patient, love is kind, etc., etc. The resurrection in chapter 15, that is, what, 58 verses, something like that, just about 60 verses, chapter 15, all about the resurrection. So, uh, chapter 16 talks about giving. Um, so all kinds of stuff uh, in, in this letter. Uh, amazing things to behold and see. Well, we are going to hone in on chapter 10. Out of all the things that we could be looking at, I'm going to hone in on chapter 10, where Paul is in the middle of really an extended discussion. I shouldn't say discussion because he's the only one speaking. An extended explanation of idolatry and how Christians are to avoid idolatry while living in a pagan culture. So let me ask you this. If you were worshiping demons, how would you know it? <laughs> Joseph Smith once said, and, uh, you know, this is in the Book of Mormon. So depending on your view of the Book of Mormon, you would say it's not Joseph Smith. It would be someone else. But um, I believe it, these were Joseph Smith's words, that there is a church of God and the church of the devil. That, that's basically how he described it. There are, there are two churches, the church of God and the church of the devil. And I don't necessarily disagree with that, all right, uh, because we are all either children of God or children of the devil. You are either adopted by God through your salvation, becoming children of God, or you are in your natural state, children of wrath, Ephesians chapter two says. So 
You're either a child of God or a child of wrath, a child of light or a child of darkness, a child of righteousness or a child of sin and evil. Uh, Or you could say you are a member of the church of God or a member of the church of the devil. If you were a member of the church of the devil, how would you know it? I think that's a pretty provocative question, right? Like uh, we would all, of course, like to think those of us who are theists in some sense and confess that God exists and that there is good and evil and that there is an enemy, there is uh, a devil, Satan himself. We would all like to think that we are of the church of God, that we are children of God, that we are on the good side. That's how we would all like to think. However, we have to recognize, acknowledge the real opportunity or option, I guess you could better phrase it, that we might be of the church of the devil, that we might be worshiping demons, and actually we might be children of wrath. So how do we know? That is uh, what I want you to start thinking about. And what Paul is doing in this uh, section of the letter as he's talking to them about avoiding demon worship avoiding joining in essentially with the church of the devil and participating in deeds of darkness. He's telling them a lot about fellowship and how important it is to recognize number one communion. Well, I guess you you should start with union with God and then communion with God and then communion with one another based on our union and communion with God. This is essentially how Jerry Bridges lays it out in his book, true community where um, we enter into this life of living as children of God, living in the church of God, participating in the realm of light or righteousness or the kingdom of the beloved son, we enter into that by faith, being individually, personally and individually united to God by faith in Jesus Christ. It has to start there on that individual level because each one of us is going to have to stand before judgment, before God in judgment. And there are different judgments too, and that's something that perhaps we'll talk about down the road. But individually we stand, right? Uh, In Romans 14, Paul talks about this saying, you know, each one stands, it's before his master, he either stands or falls, and it's on his own individually. So it all has to start there. Salvation is a very personal thing, but it doesn't stop there. It starts there, but it doesn't stop there. Because after we have union with God by faith, now we enter into a life of communion with God. Communion isn't union, but it's a necessary consequence from union. When we are united to God by faith, we can then enter into this life of communing with God, fellowshipping with God, living life with God, being guided and directed by God himself, learning from God. All of that is a part of communion. And it's it rests on the foundation of being united to God by faith. Well, after we're united to God and experiencing communion with God, what is, of course, very natural from that, and this is like a logical progression. This isn't necessarily supposed to be like, you know, chronologically, you go out into the woods and you get saved on your own. And then after a while, you discover that you're supposed to commune with God. And then after a while, you're supposed to discover you commune with one another, which is my next step I'm about to say here. Okay. Um, a lot of times people actually get saved, get born again. They become united to God by faith in the context of a community of believers. And so even though chronologically the order is kind of 
out of place there, logically, this is still how this follows, okay? So logically, it starts with unity with God by faith individually. Then it's communion with God, living life with a new worldview, with bringing God to bear on your worldview and what he has said in his word. And then third, we, on the basis of those things, we have true community, true fellowship with one another. And I'm bringing this up and explaining it this way because this is really how Paul is arguing in 1 Corinthians chapter 10 to this church in Corinth of believers who have experienced unity with God by faith, who have been called into communion with God uh, on an individual level and on a corporate level. And the necessary consequence of that is that they cherish their true Christian community that is separate from the world, in the world, but not of the world. They're meeting physically in the world in a physical place, but they are not like the culture that they live in. They are not the pagans. And so they are to cherish this unity with God, this communion with God, and this communion with one another where this all kind of culminates. And as they do that, they are cherishing God rightly. They are worshiping God appropriately, and they are keeping themselves from idols in that way. That is Paul's line of reasoning. And so I'm going to go over to 1 Corinthians 10 now, and I think you'll see this as you have that backdrop. I think you'll see this, how Paul is arguing for their avoidance of idols in their pagan culture. So 1 Corinthians 10, starting in verse 14, he says quite simply, Therefore, my beloved, flee from idolatry. I speak to you, wise men, or sorry, that's not what he said, I had some kind of a moment where I read the wrong thing. He says, I speak as to wise men. (laughs) You judge what I say. All right, verse 16. Is not the cup of blessing which we bless a sharing in the blood of Christ? Is not the bread which we break a sharing in the body of Christ? Since there is one bread, we who are many are one body, for we all partake of one, the one bread. Look at the nation of Israel. Are not those who eat the sacrifices, sharers in the altar? What do I mean then? That a thing sacrificed to idols is anything, or that an idol is anything? No, but I say that the things which the Gentiles sacrifice, they sacrifice to demons and not to God. And I do not want you to become sharers in demons. You cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons. You cannot partake of the table of the Lord and the table of demons. Or do we provoke the Lord to jealousy? We are not stronger than he, are we? All right, a lot of interesting phrasing there, and we won't go into detail with all that. I I have preached a sermon on this passage. If you want more detail on that, you could certainly look that up. Just Google search Orchard Hills Bible Church. Uh, 1 Corinthians, uh, and you'll find our series on SoundCloud, and you can find that sermon on 1 Corinthians 10. But um, look at how he is arguing for them to flee from idolatry. You see that here in the very first verse of the passage. That's the call. That's the commission. Flee from idolatry. And he's arguing for them to do this by maintaining the right community or the right fellowship, to not get mixed up on this fellowship stuff. So if we have unity with God individually, communion with God individually and corporately, it follows then that the Christian community then, as we provoke one another to love and good deeds, as we help one another to focus on the unity that we have with God, that's going to keep us from idols. But if we start mixing, blending our fellowships 
and saying, yeah, I do the fellowship thing with the Christians on Sunday, but, you know, then Sunday night I go to the pagan temple and I go and sacrifice goats with the guys who wear, you know, bed sheets and, you know, know, masks and they cut holes in so they can look through their masks and, you know, just goofy stuff that people do that's real dumb and really dangerous spiritually. Uh, I, I go do that with them because, you know, I've got friends over there. You know, we, I, the goats, some of the goat sacrificers are really good friends of mine that I've known for a long time. This Christianity stuff's pretty new to me. So, you know, I go do the thing on Sunday morning with them, but then Sunday night, you know, I go over there and we all eat goat tacos after we sacrifice the goat and we, you know, talk about politics and yada, yada, yada. Paul is saying, um, all right, what you're doing there is actually joining a fellowship of you could say, the church of the devil. (laughs) You're joining a fellowship here where you are sharing in demons. You are participating in the kingdom of darkness. That's not an innocent thing. What you're doing there is actually really detrimental spiritually. It hurts the testimony of the church and the community. It hurts your spiritual growth. It hurts your personal testimony. It has all kinds of ramifications. So let's, you know, have our our biblical worldview in place here and think about the appropriate uh, fellowship that we are to have. And and so look at these words that Paul uses for uh, fellowship. He says, and he's referencing communion here that he gets into more in the next chapter, talking about the cup of blessing. He says, the cup of blessing is a sharing in the blood of Christ. He asks it as a question, but it's obviously a rhetorical question. Where when they get together and they do as Christ instructed, that we drink the wine and eat the bread, that we are remembering what the Lord Jesus did for our salvation, and we're actually proclaiming his death until he comes. That's what Paul's going to say in the next chapter. But it's a sharing. So I'm highlighting that word here. It's a sharing. The cup of blessing which we bless is a sharing in the blood of Christ. Again, with the bread that the Bread is a sharing in the body of Christ. These are fellowship words, to share, to participate, to uh, dwell with. I mean, there there are all kinds of words here, uh, to to have in common, a commonality. Those are all fellowship words. And so here, where he's talking about communion, the cup and the bread, that's fellowship, that's sharing in, all right? Verse 17 He uses the word partake. Since there is one bread, we who are many are one body, for we all partake of the one bread. So he's emphasizing fellowship and he's emphasizing unity. He's now here bringing up the number one. He he was talking in singulars before, the cup of blessing. It's not cups of blessing, but they would all share from the same cup. The bread They would break off pieces from the one bread. We see that now in verse 17. There's that unity, the emphasis on singularity. We are many, but we are one. And they are sharing in the one bread. They are partaking of the one bread. So they are having fellowship in their Christian unity. Verse 18, we see sharing come up again. Where he says here, look at the nation Israel. Are not those who eat the sacrifices sharers in the altar? They are participating in the sacrifices there in Israel as they have the sacrifices and there was meat that that could be eaten afterwards with certain stipulations. You could go back to the law and read about who was allowed to eat it and what they were allowed to eat, etc. 
But as they're eating, they're sharing in the altar. And this is very important in the context of 1 Corinthians because he's addressing at large here meat offered to idols when you will say, you know, the pagans down the road at the pagan temple wearing the bedsheets, sacrificing the goats. Say you say, uh, you know, Paul Paul's rebuking you for do, for going down there and being, you know, a sharer in their uh, services. But you just say, look, I love goat tacos. We all eat goat tacos afterwards, and I love the goat tacos. I'm going to go down there and we're going to, I'm going to go attend their service because that's, you know, what you got to do. You got to show up for the sacrifice. But I'm just there for the tacos. I'm not there for the sacrifice. Well, Paul says those who eat sacrifices from the altar are really sharing in the altar. You are now joining that fellowship. It's a spiritual thing. It's a worship experience. You're actually committing idolatry. You're worshiping idols. He's using the illustration of Israel in that sense. In verse 20, Paul says that the things that the Gentiles sacrifice, they sacrifice to demons and not to God. Now, we're going to come back to that idea. And he says from there, I do not want you to become sharers in demons. So again, there's that fellowship language, to be sharers in demons. So it's not just sharing in the altar, which can sound innocent enough. It's not just, uh, you know, yeah, I've got, I've got my church community and I've got another community. And if you keep it shallow, that can sound innocent enough. Well, Paul's hammering home the point and he's saying that pagan worship community, you're actually sharing in the demons that are present in that worship service. So now that touches your soul in a different way, doesn't it? It's not just semantics on, well, it's not really fellowship. It's really just hanging out with friends or yada, yada, yada. No, Paul is saying in their situation here, it's not just innocent hanging out. You are sharing in demons. And then in verse 21, 21, he says, you know, quite plainly, you cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons. It's just impossible to do. Choose your master. You got to pick one. You cannot partake, there's that fellowship word again, you cannot partake of the table of the Lord and the table of demons. You've got to pick one. You can't have this fellowship in both camps at the same time. You have to pick. It is either Jesus or Satan. You have to pick. Again, going back to that Joseph Smith dichotomy, which I, again, I don't think is necessarily wrong, church, you got to pick church of God or church of the devil. Which one is it going to be? And uh, Paul, of course, here is telling them, pick Jesus, flee from idolatry. These are true believers, but they were getting themselves tangled up in idolatry. They were sharing in demons. So, going back to our question, if you were sharing in demons instead of worshiping the one true God, if you were of the church of the devil instead of being of the true church of God, how would you know it? How on earth would you know? And Paul says here, again, what I highlighted, that there are people out there who make sacrifices, who sacrifice to demons. And I want you to consider the Corinthians who were putting themselves in this spot. They would have said they were Christians. They were going to this service 
uh, you know, main, maybe it was just as a, an outreach for a lot of them that, well, we're reaching out to the community. So we're going to go attend their service. We're going to uh, participate in their rituals, but you know, we're doing it as a means of reaching them with the, with the truth. Maybe they would say that maybe they were just saying, look, they're worshiping God in the way that they know how these people who are making their sacrifices. That's just what they know. That's what they do. And, um, you know, God, God loves them and God uh, appreciates what they're doing. It's just what they know. So, um, none of those are actual excuses, by the way, none of those justify what they're doing. You can say you're a Christian. You can say you have noble intentions. You can say that, um, you're just doing what you're doing because, uh, this is just all, you know, and none of that justifies it. All of it is still sharing in demons that that doesn't make it somehow a holy ritual all of a sudden, like, Oh, okay. Because, well, because of those things, now you can kill the goat and have your little, you know, uh, pagan party and it's okay. That's, that's not how this works regardless of what someone's intentions are, regardless of what someone thinks about what they're doing, uh, what someone thinks about what he or she is doing, rather, um, it's still what it is. It is what it is. And Paul is saying that if you are not truly worshiping God, but you are instead worshiping some idol, it is demonic. You are participating in the church of the devil. You are being influenced by demons. So as you think about how you know if you are, uh, you know, if if you're worshiping the true God or you're sacrificing, worshiping, sacrificing to or worshiping a demon, you can't say, "Well, I'm a Christian, so that's not that's not what I'm doing." <laughs> those Corinthians called themselves Christians too, and when they went to those pagan temples, they were sharing in demons. They were worshiping demons. They were practicing idolatry. So saying you're a Christian, that doesn't do it. You could say, well, um, I, I go to this church that, um, you know, this church is, is really, you know, trustworthy, or this church is really reputable, or this church is safe. No, you, you can't look at the fellowship and say, uh, because I have this fellowship, that means I've got unity with God. Remember the order of things here? You have unity with God, then you have communion with God, and then you have community with other people. That's church. That's the church level. So you can't jump to step three in that logical connection and say, well, because I've got this you know, good, safe place that I go to, that means I must have that first step too, unity with God. No. That just because you go to a place that seems safe and secure and it's a place that makes you feel comfortable, it's a place that you're used to or whatever, that doesn't mean that you have unity with God or communion with God. You have to actually start at that first level. Unity with God. You have to have the gospel right. You have to have your message of salvation right. And if you have have that wrong, if you have that wrong, then everything else is thrown off. And you are not actually a member of the church of God, but instead you are a sharer in demons. You have opened yourself up to demonic influence and demons don't just show up with the, you know, goat sacrifice, wearing the bedsheet, doing the mantra, chanting, you know, jumping all around and acting, you know, like a, like a primitive spiritist or something like that. That's not the only way that demons show up. In fact, in America, that's very rarely how demons show up. 
What is more common is for us to be deceived by the forces of darkness in the ways that they disguise themselves as angels of light. That's how these things happen. And in Paul's second letter to the Corinthians, uh, this is... um, this comes to the forefront because Paul is continuing to address their issues. They continue to have lots of problems. And Paul addresses this in second Corinthians 11, which we, I may have an extended uh, episode on here in just a few weeks or a couple weeks, but let's look at this second Corinthians 11. Paul says to them, starting in verse one, I wish that you would bear with me in a little foolishness, but indeed you are bearing with me. For I am jealous for you with a godly jealousy, for I betrothed you to one husband, so that to Christ I might present you as a pure virgin. Paul was instrumental in the start of this church. God used him, the Lord Jesus used him to build his church in Corinth. And Paul's motivation here was that they would be, of course, united to God. That's that first step, that they would be united to God by faith in Jesus, and that they might now enter into a life of purity, away from idols, away from the pagan culture that they once knew. But now, as they have the power of God in them through this process called sanctification, that they would pursue the holiness of God. But Paul says, verse 3, But I am afraid that, as the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness, your minds will be led astray from the simplicity and purity of devotion to Christ. For if one comes and preaches another Jesus, whom we have not preached, or you receive a different spirit, which you have not received, or a different gospel, which you have not accepted, you bear this beautifully." For I consider myself not in the least inferior to the most eminent apostles. But even if I am unskilled in speech, yet I am not so in knowledge. In fact, in every way, we have made this evident to you in all things. So how would you know if your church is a true church or not? Well, what kind of Jesus is being preached in that church? Paul says that there's a Jesus that he preached... Okay, so past tense, there's a Jesus that he preached, and then there's another Jesus. And now, this other Jesus can take many forms. You could say that this other Jesus is someone who is just a great teacher, but not the true Savior of the world. There are a lot of people who say that. You could say that this other Jesus is just like a figment of the imagination of first century people. A lot of atheists would say that, that Jesus didn't even exist. He was just a made-up character. You could say that this other Jesus is the brother of Lucifer and that he is our uh, elder brother, an offspring of Heavenly Father, just like the rest of us. You could say that too. And that's another Jesus. That's not the Jesus of the Bible who is presented to us as eternal creator, the one true God. So what Jesus, which Jesus is your church preaching? You can also consider the spirit of, that is being received in the church. Now here in the New American Standard, the Spirit is lowercase, and there's some debate as to whether this should be capital S, Holy Spirit, or lowercase s, Spirit. Um, I'm actually preaching this passage here in a couple of weeks, so I'll have to make that decision then. But let's go with the lowercase s, Spirit, as the New American Standard has it here. 
what kind of lowercase s spirit? Well, there's one spirit of grace and mercy and love and peace that comes with the real Jesus. But with another Jesus comes the spirit of judgmentalism, pride, uh, you could say um, condemnation, where people not only judge one another, but they condemn one another, and they all do so out of their pride and self-exaltation rather than the spirit of humility that comes with the real Jesus. See, those are two different spirits, aren't they? And then last, of course, he also brings up the gospel. If you rec- if there's a different gospel that someone preaches, rather than the one you have accepted, you bear this beautifully. And Paul's being kind of sarcastic here, okay? And you can listen to my sermon in a couple weeks to hear about that in more detail about why he says you bear this beautifully. But there's also a different gospel. Well, what's the gospel that Paul preached? Gospel of grace, that we can be made right with God once for all on the basis of the finished work of Jesus Christ when we trust in what he has done, not adding to his work with our own efforts, but coming to, to God in humility and saying, we are sinners in need of salvation. There is nothing we can do to remedy our lost condition. We, we justly deserve punishment, and yet there is nothing we can do. Lord, would you save me on the basis of what Jesus has done through his death and resurrection? He is ascended on high. Would you save me? And we trust that by grace, through faith, we are saved and exalted immediately to the right hand of God. Where Jesus is, we are exalted there with him also. That's the gospel that Paul preached. The false gospel, the different gospel, would be something like works. That's what's most common is You go to God and you say, I need to fix myself up. I need to try all that I can do to remedy my fallen condition. And through your own effort, based on your own deeds of righteousness, you seek to earn favor with God. That's another gospel. That is no longer the gospel of grace. Grace now ceases to be grace. And you have now embraced a gospel that is not good news, but it's bad news because you will never be able to fix your lost condition. And someone might say, yeah, but you don't understand. I've got, I've got so much happiness in my life. I've got so many, uh, so many good things in my life because of this church that I'm a part of, because of this fellowship that I have. I can't be sharing in demons. This isn't something that's false or untrue because look at all these good things that I have. To which my reply is, how do you know that your feelings are accurate? Because you can feel all you want, happy, comfortable, safe, secure, confident. You can feel good about the life that has been, that, that's been set up. And you can even say, look at all this light that I have, you know, metaphorically. Look at all this light in my life. Well, Paul continues to address this in 2 Corinthians 11, and he says that there are people, there are men out there who are false apostles. They claim to be apostles, but they are false. They are deceitful workers, and they disguise themselves as apostles of Christ. No wonder, he says, for even Satan 
disguises himself as an angel of light. Therefore, it is not surprising if his servants also disguise themselves as servants of his righteousness, whose end will be according to their deeds. So what I'm saying to you is with all this you know, confidence that you have or this uh, maybe wishful thinking that you have that I'm, I have all this light and I have all this comfort and, and happiness and peace. How do you know you're not being duped into buying false light? false happiness, false peace, false safety, false comfort, because there are false apostles and there is the enemy, Satan himself, and they do a great job disguising themselves. How are you going to decide this? You have to go back to the word of God. You have to look at what God has said and see if you have believed another Jesus, another spirit, another gospel, so that you would repudiate those false ways and embrace the truth of God so as to be saved, so as to be close to him for now and all eternity. Okay. All right. Thanks for listening. I know that was a little more direct this week and I plan on keeping it direct. I think that's helpful to have direct discussion, conversation, monologuing of the issues. And, uh, thanks for listening. Please uh, let me know any thoughts or questions that you have. God bless.